0: How have his work experiences from earlier decades been influencing his leadership as the national leader? What are some of the core principles that have guided his decisions and actions? I consider myself
1: a relatively hard-working person. I know very well that people's biggest concerns are education, employment, income.
2: We We
1: can pursue development through destructive methods, depleting the legacies from our ancestors while exhausting the options for our future generations.
0: The Stories of Xi Jinping podcast series shares the life and work experiences of Xi Jinping and explores the formation of his governing principles, philosophy, beliefs, among others. Getting to know Xi's thoughts on national governance and how his leadership took shape may help you better understand China's path, governance, and principles. You can follow the stories of Xi Jinping podcast series on all major podcast platforms.
1: Examining the events that impact and shape China and the rest of the world. This is the Beijing Hour, one hour of news and information brought to you every weekday. Now here's your host,
3: Shane Bigham, with you on this Wednesday, September 20th, 2023. You're listening to the Beijing Hour, coming to you live from the Chinese capital. On today's program, the general debate of the 78th UN General Assembly has begun, with multilateralism and climate change among the top issues. India has expelled a Canadian diplomat amid an ongoing diplomatic row, and Mexico's dealing with migration pressures at the southern and northern borders. In business, China's economy showed signs of recovery in August. In sports, exploring the venues of the Asian Games in Hangzhou. In culture and entertainment, a renowned Hong Kong filmmaker heads the jury for the inaugural Golden Panda Awards. Now checking the day's top stories. The general debate's begun at the 78th session of the U.N. General Assembly. U.N. Secretary General Antonio Guterres delivered a report before it opened and called for effective multilateral institutions to tackle global challenges. He warned that the world is facing mounting global challenges and rising geopolitical tensions and that world leaders seem incapable of coming together to respond. Guterres highlighted global warming as the most immediate threat to humanity that needs to be tackled.
4: Actions are failing abysmally short. There is still time to keep rising temperatures within the 1.5 degree limits of the Paris Agreement. But that requires drastic steps now to cut greenhouse gas emissions and to ensure climate justice for those who did least to cause the crisis.
3: He urged developed countries to deliver 100 billion US dollars every year for climate actions in developing countries as promised. Gutierrez also called for determination to uphold the pledge for peace in the UN Charter.
4: Ignoring global treaties and conventions makes us all less safe. And the poisoning of global diplomacy obstructs progress across the board. We must not relent in working for peace, a just peace, in line with UN Charter and international
3: law. UN chief emphasized the need for Security Council reform, a modernized global financial system, as a safety net for developing nations, and a commitment to uphold fundamental human rights while addressing challenges from new technologies. The general debate of the 78th session of the U.N. General Assembly focuses on restoring global trust and solidarity. UNGA President Dennis Francis stressed the importance of uniting nations to tackle global challenges. Nathan King in New York has more from the street.
5: Inside the General Assembly hall, the mood was very gloomy. Antonio Guterres, the U.N. Secretary General, kicking things off, essentially saying the world is unhinged, that he feels the world is incapable of coming together on the big challenges like climate change, development, and also the small crises that seem to dominate these summits uh, going forward. That's kind of reflected with Vladimir Zelensky, uh, the Ukrainian leader, essentially uh, speaking here for the first time since the Ukrainian conflict. He tried to bring the world together to his cause by appealing to the global south, who largely have stayed neutral in this war, saying, look, grain prices went up, oil prices went up, Uh, there's been food uh, insecurity. There's also an international law aspect here which will affect you as well. Uh, Joe Biden reflected similar remarks about Ukraine. He was clear rhetorically on China, though, I can tell you. He said we don't want to contain any country. You know, I was just talking to some African diplomats and some Latin American diplomats, and they were saying, look, we really do hope there's a thaw in U.S.-China relations. But they feel that the standoff uh, could affect them. So any thaw uh, could really develop wins for the entire international community.
3: That was Nathan King reporting. Senior Chinese diplomat Wang Yi continues his visit to Russia. He's met the uh, Secretary of Russia's Security Council after meeting Foreign Minister Sergei Lavrov a day earlier. Alyosha Milenkovich reports from Moscow.
6: Russia's top security chief, Nikolai Patrushev, waiting for his guest Wang Yi at the Volinskoye Congress Park Hotel, about seven kilometers from the Kremlin. The atmosphere was relaxed, and the meeting was friendly. But the topics covered by the two sides in the discussion's were far from easy and relaxing.
7: Our meeting is happening during a
8: rapidly changing international situation. The ongoing transformation of the geopolitical landscape is followed by the provoking of new and inciting of old conflicts. In that context, I want to confirm our immeasurable support for Beijing in the issues of Taiwan, Xinjiang, Tibet and Hong Kong, which are used by the West to discredit China.
6: It was during the open part of the meeting that the two officials addressed some pressing international issues. Wang said China and Russia bear special responsibility for maintaining global strategic stability.
5: As permanent members of the United Nations Security Council and responsible countries, We work closely together on the international stage to jointly defend true multilateralism, oppose all acts of bullying, and jointly promote the development of the global governance system in a fairer and reasonable direction.
6: Following the China-Russia talks, they were joined by officials from Mongolia, a landlocked country between China and Russia and heavily dependent on its imports from those two countries. And all three parties agreed there is a need to increase interaction and coordination on international and regional issues. Wang wrapped up his day in Moscow with a closed-door meeting with Jadamba Bayar, secretary of the Mongolian National Security Council.
3: That was Elioso Malenkovich on Wang Yi's visit to Russia. The premier of South Australia state recently visited China. Peter Melanoscus is the third Australian state leader to visit this year. Trade talks dominated the trip to Beijing. The premier is upbeat about the future of bilateral ties, and Dong Shui sat down with him.
9: After three years of almost frozen diplomatic relations, Australia has an uphill battle trying to repair its rift with its biggest trading partner, China. Peter Melanasky's arrival means the leaders of half of Australia's six states have visited China so far this year. He said the visit carries heavy weight. Uh,
2: We've got a significant delegation of universities and businesses here and we've got clear strategic objectives but none more important than contributing towards the continued stabilization of the Australia-China relationship which has had difficulties in recent years.
9: Relations between the two countries deteriorated in 2020 under the leadership of former Prime Minister Scott Morrison after Australia supported a call for an international inquiry into China's handling of the coronavirus pandemic. Beijing then imposed import sanctions on a wide range of Australian goods from wine to coal and timber. Australia followed up by taking the trade disputes with China to the World Trade Organization and canceled a Belt and Road Initiative deal between China and the state of Victoria.
2: We have a range of principles and and views that we uh, must simply stick by, but we want to be able to engage with China thoughtfully. You know, I don't think there are too many Australians who want to see uh, nationalistic style uh, policies inform uh, domestic political outcomes over practical outcomes that matter to the Australian people.
9: And what's your assessment of the current bilateral relations?
2: This is an important relationship. Uh, it's getting back on track and it's something that we're very excited about across the nation.
9: High-level dialogue between China and Australia was held two weeks ago in Beijing. According to Chinese Foreign Minister Wang Yi, the dialogue is aimed at deepening mutual trust, expanding cooperation, and fostering friendship. He said the twists and challenges of the past few years cannot define the essence of the bilateral relationship, nor can they hinder the pace of China-Australia cooperation. Recent visits to China by Australian officials include Peters as well as Trade Minister Don Farrells in May signals a revival of high-level exchanges between the two countries. Whether these trips will lead to a further high-level exchanges include Australian Prime Minister Anthony Albany's trip to China that remains to be seen. Since the Labour government took office in May last year, the bilateral relations has been steadily stabilized. The expectation is that the both countries will strengthen cooperation to mutually benefit their interests. That
3: was Dong Shui on China and Australia mending ties. Coming up, a diplomatic row between India and Canada.
9: China has a quarter of the world's Alzheimer's patients. With the country's grey population growing rapidly, the number of patients will likely increase fourfold by 2050. Meet the patients, their families, and caregivers, and discover the anxiety, struggle, and misconceptions behind one of the biggest problems of an aging society in our documentary, Aging in China, Living with Alzheimer's, on CGTN Radio. For podcast listeners, search The Top Story and find the program on all popular podcast apps on September the 21st, the 30th World Alzheimer's Day.
3: 10 minutes past the hour. India has expelled a Canadian diplomat in a tit-for-tat move. Canada's decision to dismiss a senior Indian official came shortly after India rejected accusations that it was involved in the killing of a Sikh leader in Canada. India regards the individual who was a Canadian citizen as a separatist. Ravinder Bawa has more from New Delhi.
10: Well, allegations and counter-allegations leveled by India and Canada has led to the expulsion of a senior Canadian diplomat. On Monday, the Canadian Prime Minister said authorities were investigating credible allegations linking India's agents to the murder of a Sikh separatist leader. Dismissing the allegations as absurd... India asked Canada to crack down on anti-India elements operating in its territory. The Canadian leader had told the House of Commons in an emergency statement on Monday that any involvement of a foreign government in killing of a Canadian citizen was an unacceptable violation of our sovereignty. Indian Foreign Ministry responding to this said that the decision reflects the government of India's growing concern at the interference of Canadian diplomats in their internal matters and their involvement in anti-India activities. After the G20 summit during the bilateral, Prime Minister Modi conveyed to his Canadian counterpart India's strong concerns about continuing anti-India activities of extremist elements in Canada. Prime Minister Trudeau raised the importance of respecting the rule of law, democratic principles, and national sovereignty. Trade talks between the two nations has been hit due to the rising tensions.
3: That was Ravinder Bawa on a diplomatic row between Canada and India. Republicans with the U.S. House of Representatives have failed to move forward on a fiscal 2024 U.S. defense spending bill. The vote came hours after the House Speaker delayed a key procedural vote on the 30 day stopgap measure known as a continuing resolution. Kevin McCarthy has been trying to persuade the Republican Party to avert a federal government shutdown. McCarthy says the House will consider a vote to open debate on the bill after lawmakers have enough time to reach agreement on the legislation. The two leaders in the Senate are calling on the House to come up with a plan to prevent the shutdown, but accuse the other party of doing the opposite. Majority Leader Chuck Schumer says uh, the only way is bipartisanship.
11: House Republicans are trying everything but bipartisanship, even though everyone knows their proposed CR is a total non-starter in the Senate, and it has no, no Democratic input.
3: Minority Leader Mitch McConnell says that they'll uh, see what the House does and act accordingly.
8: What I do think is critically important to the American people is for the government not to shut down, not to shut down. That's job one. With regard to the appropriations process, it had been my hope that we'd be able to pass a series of minibuses, and I think the Speaker's hope that he'd be able to pass all 12. That still might happen
3: continuing resolution seeks to keep the government running until October 31st and trigger a 1% cut to current fiscal levels. The cut's an average for the federal budget, with the Defense Veterans Affairs and Disaster Relief Departments receiving no cuts, and other government agencies having their spending slashed by 8%. We'll have more explanation of the U.S. debt limit in business and corporate news. United Nations says more than 1,200 children have died of suspected measles and malnutrition in a refugee camp in Sudan. UN agencies say thousands more are at risk of death this year. Five months of conflict between the Sudanese army and paramilitary RSF have crippled the country's healthcare system. At least 7,500 people have died and millions are displaced. And many of them are children. Nabat Moheddin reports from Al Jazeera State.
12: 35-year-old Rabha Tahir has 13 children. They all live here in Handoop Camp in Al Jazeera State after they fled the war in Khartoum five months ago.
13: We've been living in this camp since May and we don't know when we'll return home. The future is undefined for us and for our children who are paying the cost of this war. The situation is really bad and we're suffering a lot.
12: The country now has the highest number of internally displaced people globally, according to Charity, Save the Children. At least 7.1 million people, including an estimated 3.3 million children, are now displaced from their homes in Sudan, according to international organizations. The number is likely increasing due to ongoing conflict across the country. Diseases including cholera, malaria and fevers as well as malnutrition are threatening millions of children. Many desperate families fleeing conflict are sheltering in schools, camps and with relatives while some are living out in the oven. We want
13: our life back. We want to see our children getting an education. We left everything behind, our homes, our clothes, our future. This war must stop. Sudan
12: was one of the first countries to ratify the Convention on the Rights of the Child in 1990. But years of political and economic instability, widespread poverty and displacement have hindered the preservation of
8: children's rights. The scary numbers of displacement among children is alarming. It paves the way for many issues like child labor and utilizing those children in criminal activities. Child protection is needed to prevent the worst impacts of the conflict.
12: The conflict in Sudan has entered its sixth month, with no sign of it ending in the near future. There are fears that conditions
3: for children and families could get worse as the fighting continues. That was Naba Moheddin on the impact that Sudan's conflicts had on children in the country. Many victims of the recent earthquake in Morocco died when buildings collapsed. Experts believe more resilient infrastructure and more modern town planning could have spared many lives. Adnan Chawachi has more.
8: The primary cause of death in the earthquake was not the shaking ground, but collapsing buildings, crumbling roofs, and crashing walls. Reconstruction efforts in Marrakesh are to be carried out in accordance with the region's architectural and cultural identity as well as up to safety standards.
11: Building requires skill and attention to detail. From now on, we need to rethink our way of making and restoring earthquake-resilient homes and buildings. We can learn from our heritage, especially the old and traditional Riyads which stood in the face of the earthquake in Marrakesh.
8: A Riyab is a traditional Moroccan house or palace with an interior garden and courtyard. In Marrakesh, they were built within the old city walls. Located in the very heart of the old Medina of Marrakesh, the Dar property is a hidden gem of the Sardin era from the 16th and the 17th centuries. Dar is fully enclosed inside, insulated by thick, high strength walls with minimum openings to keep out heat and street noise.
14: This
4: riad was built to resist time. There were many challenges throughout the centuries until the recent earthquake, but the building is still standing. The director
8: general of Marrakech, Riav, says a major challenge in Morocco was the usage of mud brick construction and masonry that did not have reinforcement. These houses are designed with extreme temperature resilience in mind, but can withstand earthquakes very well.
4: Uh, do, keen, uh... Materials like concrete, gravel and mud were preferred in Morocco as they serve as barriers to the scorching heat many riads were built with more sophisticated materials Riyads are safe they were only partly damaged requiring minor repairs
8: morocco's resettlement plan includes urgent reconstruction actions to be carried out immediately after land preparation and stabilization authorities are planning to hand out direct financial aid of thirteen thousand eight hundred dollars for completely collapsed homes and eight thousand dollars to cover the reconstruction
3: of partially collapsed houses. That was Adnan Chawachi reporting. You're listening to The Beijing Hour. Coming up, migration pressures are building in Mexico.
13: Climate Watch is CGTN Radio's new podcast focusing on the impact of climate change. We have conversations with people on the front line about this critical issue. Listen to Climate Watch on all major podcast platforms and join us in taking action to save the planet
3: we call home. At twenty minutes past the hour, well, Mexico says two people suffered injuries near the southern border with Guatemala as a group of migrants tried to force their way into a refugee station. Meanwhile, in northern Mexico, migrants making their way into the United States are creating strain as well. Frank Contreras has more from Mexico City. <laughs>
11: Desperation on Mexico's southern border, distraught Haitian immigrants in Tapachula push against police barriers, demanding that Mexico grant them documents so they can continue traveling northward to the United States. For the first eight months of this year, Mexico has seen a 30% increase in the number of applications for free transit through the country compared to last year. Mexico's refugee agency says the country is on track to receive more applications for asylum than ever before, likely breaking a 2021 record of 129,000 applications for asylum in Mexico. The mayor of the northern Mexican border city of Ciudad Juarez sent an emergency message to Mexican state and federal authorities requesting help to deal with the daily influx of migrants. Local advocacy organizations say shelters have been saturated for months and many migrants have no choice but to beg in the streets.
6: Mostly there are many families with their children and teenagers. The number of people passing through here every day has been extraordinary. Even at night there are people who take the risk and attempt to cross the border.
11: In the United States, the migration buildup continues from Texas to New York to Massachusetts, where the governor has declared a state of emergency. In Tijuana, Mexico, a border rights organization called Al Otro Lado has received reports that the U.S. government is once again separating migrant children from their families.
12: What we are hoping to show... U.S.
11: immigration lawyer Nicole Elizabeth Ramos directs the project.
9: Uh, there were almost 700 deaths documented last year alone along the U.S.-Mexico border. Of people who were trying to enter, uh, many of them to seek asylum, and that represents almost half of the total number of deaths and disappearances reported through the Americas.
11: Economic hardship, violence, and climate change are some of the factors pushing migrants north. They know jobs are available in the United States, but few migrants are aware of just how politicized their presence is. Especially ahead of the 2024 presidential elections.
3: That was Frank Contreras reporting. French interior minister Gerald Darmanin says his country will not be taking in migrants from the Italian island of Lampedusa.
0: Oh, la France accueillera. Uh, the, France wants to take a firm stance. There is irregular immigration in Europe, in France and in Italy, which must be combated. And it's not by taking in more people that we're going to dry up a flow, which obviously affects our ability to integrate.
3: minister says his country welcomes those eligible for asylum, who he says are refugees suffering political, sexual or religious persecution. He adds that those unqualified for for political asylum should be sent back to their own countries and that France is ready to help Italy deport them. Lampedusa is being overwhelmed with nearly 7,000 arrivals in a single day. Data shows more than 120,000 migrants have arrived in Italy so far this year. That's almost double the figure of the same date in 2022. Brazil's exploring green hydrogen as an alternative fuel. Many consider GH2 to be the energy of the future. Lucretia Franco in Rio de Janeiro visited a power plant.
14: Green hydrogen, a rising star on the energy landscape, powering pedal-assisted bicycles at Rio de Janeiro's first GH2 pilot plant. Instead of lithium batteries like those used in electric bikes they use a 2-liter cylinder tank filled with GH2. They have a 150-kilometer travel range and most importantly emit only water vapor. Urban mobility, potential commercial and industrial uses are currently being studied at the plant built on the campus of Rio's Federal University Technology Center. Professor Andrea Santos is the coordinator of a new Brazilian-German joint project to produce green hydrogen called H2 Brazil. She says the new fuel represents an extraordinary opportunity for Brazil
15: we have abundant sunlight, wind and a huge territory to become a leader in green hydrogen. And this is urgent to mitigate climate change as we are experiencing more and more extreme weather disasters.
14: The pilot plant uses photovoltaic panels to produce hydrogen. Solar power, which is already an important component in Brazil's energy matrix, and it could be key for its decarbonization efforts. The electricity generated by the panels is used to separate hydrogen molecules from H2O or water through a process called electrolysis, an eco friendly process that causes no environmental harm. Researchers are exploring different applications for green hydrogen in Brazil, a country that they assure has the potential to become the world's largest producer of one of the cleanest
15: known fuels. Brazil already has a significant presence in the renewable electricity sector, so this capability will allow us to produce GH2 at a very low cost, and it will indeed be revolutionary for the domestic market and for exports.
14: While well, regulations for a green hydrogen national plan are still being debated, experts here are optimistic that the country will prove to be a game-changer in the transition to a low- or zero-carbon future. And that
3: was Lucretia Franco reporting. Local authorities are stepping up efforts to protect rare species on the Galapagos Islands from avian flu. This comes as three dead birds tested positive for the virus. Galapagos National Park Director Danny Areda says the affected sites are now closed to tourists.
1: It is regrettable news since our birds are endemic. We're keeping constant monitoring at the sites where visibly affected birds have been detected. The first measure is to close down these sites to visitors. Obviously, we need to act as Galapagos National Park Rangers, monitoring each site, carry out surveillance on each site, and taking measures according to the protocol we have.
3: Park director says they're focusing on efforts to monitor the population, status, and health of all bird species. The unaffected sites of the park are still open for visitors, but strict measures are underway to keep uh, tours going. The Galapagos has about 78 species of endemic and native birds, and many of them migrate to continental Ecuador. The country declared an emergency last year due to an avian flu outbreak on uh, farms in the Andes. We're at 28 minutes past the hour now. Checking the forecast ahead of the break. And uh, Beijing's at 15 degrees overnight. Tomorrow we get sunny skies and 27 degrees Celsius. Chongqing's 21 this evening, then moderate rainfall in 24. Lass is down to 9 degrees, then showers in 23. Hong Kong's at 27 overnight, showers in 33 degrees tomorrow. Elsewhere, Tokyo's 23 this evening, a slight rain in 30 on Thursday. Islamabad's 22 overnight, then a light rainfall in 31. Bangkok will be down to 26 degrees, then a light rainfall in 35 on Thursday. In Africa, Nairobi's getting a slight rain in 27 degrees. And finally to Oceania, Sydney's at 16 this evening, then a light rainfall in 24. Auckland dips to nine. Overcast and 17 tomorrow. Port Vila, a slight rain and 28 degrees Celsius. It's time for a short break so far this hour. The general debate of the 78th UN General Assembly has begun with multilateralism and climate change among the top issues. India has expelled a Canadian diplomat amid an ongoing diplomatic row. And Mexico is dealing with migration pressures at its southern and northern borders. Shane Bigham with you. Stay with us here on the Beijing Hour.
1: Experience
0: the musical classics of the East. Mingle with the masters of Chinese music. Music talks. Witness the sound of antiquity and modernity.
9: We all enter this world with a universal greeting. (laughs) We then learn to speak. Bonjour. Bonjour. Comment
12: allez-vous?
9: Though our languages, cultures, and traditions may differ, we still share one thing in common: we have hope for humanity and the world.
16: An additional German Company the, six, fund, the found,
9: Hear the difference with CGTN Radio. Join our global network to connect with the world.
17: CGTN Radio. Hear the difference.
13: I love you, 我爱你. This might be the easiest way to say I love you since there are so many other romantic expressions No matter if you're a rookie 你好, Or a sophisticated learner There is definitely something that will interest you Check out Takeaway Chinese, a word that starts with 你好
1: Examining the events that impact and shape China and the rest of the world. This is the Beijing Hour, one hour of news and information brought to you every weekday. Now, here's your host.
3: Shane Bigham with you on this Wednesday, still to come. In business, China's economy showed signs of recovery in August. In sports, we're exploring the venues of the Asian Games in Hangzhou. In culture and entertainment, a renowned Hong Kong filmmaker heads the jury for the inaugural Golden Panda Awards. To contact us, you can email audio newsroom at cgtn.com or follow our ex account, formerly Twitter, at cgtnradio. Uh, first of all, though, checking the day's headlines, here's Zhu Tianlu.
15: Thank you, Shane. Vice President Han Zheng says China is willing to work with the United States on climate governance and make greater contributions for mankind. He met U.S. Climate Envoy John Kerry in New York and underscored the significance of dialogue and cooperation between the two countries. Kerry hailed China's achievements in tackling climate issues and expressed U.S. readiness to work with China on climate and other issues. Han is in New York to attend this year's United Nations General Assembly he has earlier met U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken. Senior Chinese official Li Xi has concluded his visit in Cuba. He spoke with President Miguel Diaz-Canel and suggested inter-party and government exchanges and collaboration in multiple fields. Diaz-Canel said he appreciates China's efforts in safeguarding the common interests of developing nations. Li Xi, who is a standing committee member of the political bureau of the CPC Central Committee, also met with officials at the Communist Party of Cuba and visited Cuban revolutionary leader Raul Castro. The United Nations chief is calling on world leaders to take action on challenges facing humanity. Antonio Guterres expressed the urgency during the UN General Assembly.
4: Our world is becoming unhinged. Geopolitical tensions are rising. Global challenges are mounting. And we seem incapable of coming together to respond. We confront a host of existential threats, from the climate crisis to disruptive technologies, and we do so at the time of chaotic transition.
15: He welcomed the positive trend toward multipolarity, but said the world has not been able to keep up with this move. He listed climate change, disruptive technologies, and inequality as among challenges facing humanity, and said that the UN and the ways of cooperation must evolve. The Indian government has expelled a senior Canadian diplomat following a similar move by Canada a day earlier over the killing of Canadian Sikh leader Hardeep Singh Nijjar in British Columbia in June. A statement by the Indian External Affairs Ministry says the decision reflects the country's growing concern over the interference of Canadian diplomats in India's internal matters and their involvement in anti-India activities. Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau says his country is not looking to escalate tensions calling on India to take the killing of Nijar seriously.
7: We are simply laying out the facts as uh, we understand them and uh, we want to work with the government of India uh, to lay everything clear.
15: Nijar was a prominent advocate of the Khalistan movement. India deems him a separatist. He was killed outside the Guru Nanak Sikh temple in Surrey. Azerbaijan has launched a military operation in Nagorno-Karabakh demanding that Armenian forces withdraw from the territory. Officials in the region said fighting has killed five people and injured dozens. Azerbaijan's defense ministry said it launched a military action in response to the systematic shelling of its army positions by Armenian forces. Armenia's prime minister rejected claims that his military was involved. Azerbaijan, and Armenia have been at logheads lockhead, over the Nagorno-Karabakh region since 1988, a new round of armed conflict spilled over along the conf- contact line in September 2020 before Russia brokered a truce. Spokesperson Ahmed el Masmari for the Eastern-Based Armed Forces of Libya says the devastating floods have destroyed the transportation infrastructure in the Jebel el area.
17: All the roads from Beda and before Beda, from the Satata area, east of the city of Marsh to the Beida area, to Sus, to Ras-Hilal, all cities are destroyed, all roads are destroyed, bridges are destroyed.
15: The World Bank says the area has one of the highest average annual rainfalls in Libya. Mediterranean storm Daniel caused a massive flooding across eastern Libya that overwhelmed two dams. The disaster destroyed neighborhoods in Derna, killing thousands of people. The Republican led U.S. House of Representatives is set to hold its first committee hearing next week on its impeachment inquiry against Democratic President Joe Biden. The House Oversight Committee says it will explore constitutional and legal questions at the hearing. It also intends to subpoena personal and business bank records of the president's brother and son. Republicans allege that Biden profited from his son Hunter's business dealings while serving as vice president between 2000. 2009 and 2017, but have not released any evidence of misconduct.
3: All right, Thank you very much. That was Zhu uh, Tianlu with your headline news update. This is Shane Begum in the Chinese Capital. Coming up in business, uh, China's economy showed signs of recovery in August.
13: Washington is attempting to increase the number of UN Security Council permanent members to dilute influence of China and Russia. How realistic is it? Germany, Japan, and India have been wanting a permanent membership of the Council for decades. Why haven't they succeeded? Can we expect an enlarged UN Security Council with six, seven, or even more permanent members in the foreseeable future? If so, what would it mean for the world order? Find out the answers to these questions and more on this week's Chat Lounge, wherever you get your podcasts, and on CGTN Radio.
3: 37 past the hour now, turning to business. Stock markets on the Chinese mainland finish lower on Wednesday. Timothy Pope has more.
18: Chinese equities traded lower. The PBOC's decision to leave the loan prime rate unchanged didn't come as much of a surprise, but uh, it was followed up by comments from the National Development and Reform Commission uh, saying that the, uh, the economy still faces a lot of challenges and difficulties. Uh, the NDRC's deputy chairman said uh, efforts to boost confidence and also domestic demand will be intensified. Uh, Most sectors traded lower. The Shanghai Composite Index was uh, down by more than half of 1%. And the small-cap China export uh, actually slipped by about eight-tenths of 1% and uh, closed today below the psychologically important 2,000-point level. Banks got a bit of a reprieve. Uh, The PBOC not cutting interest rates uh, was good for their stocks and they were about the only sector locking in meaningful gains. Agricultural Bank of China and Bank of China uh, each rose by uh, just under 1.5%. Postal Savings Bank was another winner, rising by 1.2%.
3: That was market analyst Timothy Pope in Shanghai. In Hong Kong, the Hang Seng Index decreased over six tenths of a percent. In Japan, the Nikkei lost nearly seven tenths of a percent. China's economic recovery remained on track in August, thanks to a series of public uh, public policy support measures. Uh, Domestic demand continued to recover, with the growth rate of retail sales of consumer goods accelerating by 2.1 percentage points from July. The property market regained momentum after the announcement of policy measures relieving pressure on first-time homebuyers. Meantime, growth in the manufacturing sector also accelerated last month. The growth rate of the value added of industrial enterprises above a designated size accelerated by 0.8 percentage points compared with July. And service industry production increased by 1.1 percentage points. The 2023 World Manufacturing Convention is underway in Hefei, Anhui Province, with a record 1,000 exhibitors from home and abroad participating. The five-day event will highlight smart manufacturing, featuring a variety of cutting-edge technologies. Pan Feng from the Department of Economy and Information Technology introduces the convention.
17: The products exhibited at this convention are high-end and technologically advanced. Among them are future industries like quantum technology and a large number of high-end products representing special and sophisticated technologies. The convention will carry out product releases from 500 top companies. Outside Hefei, we'll stage another 21 thematic events, making it the largest scale in its history.
3: On covering an area of eighty thousand square meters, this year's convention is set up a digital transformation exhibition area for the first time. Five G VR and metaverse technologies are used to present innovative products, creating an everlasting cloud exhibition platform. The 23rd China International Industry Fair is underway at the National Exhibition and Convention Center in Shanghai. With the dual themes of the digital economy and industrial decarbonization, the fair is seeing a good number of new deals between local and foreign firms, all concentrating on consolidating and improving supply chains. Chang Swan spoke with several corporate executives attending that fair.
19: Digitalization may sound pretty technical, but it's now almost everywhere around us. In buildings, transportation, energy, bio-farmer, and even food and beverage production, U.S. headquartered Rockwell Automation has combined all these invisible tech services into a vivid mini-digital world at the industry fair, aimed at an alliance with both big and small firms.
2: We actually uh, supported a book last year. It was all about enabling the SMEs uh, innovation in China through digital transformation. The advantage for the uh, SMEs is really about their flexibility. Their innovation could quickly deploy through their organization and somehow bring to the market. But now, there are also several limitations of SMEs. Their innovation could be quite agile, but when they try to scale up, there's going to require significant support from outside. As
19: foreign companies gain a better outlook on the potential of industrial digitalization in China, they have become increasingly keen on cooperating with local firms. Chinese robotics firm Aobo is showcasing more than 30 of its products at the exhibition, covering both industrial and service applications. All of its key components are now made domestically, and thanks to its newly upgraded smart production line, it's been significantly enhancing its delivery efficiency.
11: We are now making robots with robots. Almost all the assembly of the joints are made with robots. We can make delivery within one or two weeks from receiving an order. Last July, we redid our production lines with modular designs. During the past three years, we have made huge upgrades to our products. The control cabinet has been made smaller, with better quality. And we've managed to control our costs.
19: The company is now also in talk with its suppliers to help save further costs while securing quality.
3: That was Zhang Shishuan reporting. Chinese Ministry of Finances issued 5 billion yuan, roughly 685 million U.S. dollars of UN-denominated bonds in the Macau Special Administrative Region. The issuance includes 4 billion yuan of two-year bonds and a billion yuan of five-year bonds. Uh, This is the third time and the largest volume of UN-denominated bonds to be issued in Macau. The ministry says the move will enhance the attractiveness of the Macau bond market and support the development of the offshore renminbi market in the region. The central government previously issued UN Denominated bonds in Macau in 2019 and a gain in 2022. U.S. Congress is running out of time to agree on a funding deal that would prevent a government shutdown. Politicians are debating the issue on the heels of a new milestone for U.S. debt levels: $33 trillion. A Benji Hire has the latest from Washington.
20: More than 33 trillion dollars, roughly the value of the economies of China, Japan, Germany, India and the United Kingdom combined. The national debt rose markedly since the 2008 financial crash and then again during the COVID-19 pandemic. The debate over debt has grown here amid an extended standoff months ago over raising the debt ceiling. Now, that cap set by Congress determines how much the US can borrow to pay for its remaining bills. A deal was finally struck in the summer to avoid default on debt repayments, but a cohort of hardline Republicans want further cuts, blaming out of control spending for the country's fiscal woes. House Speaker Kevin McCarthy, under pressure, insists there's still time to appease both sides.
3: This isn't the 30th. We've got a
11: long ways to go. We've got a lot of different ideas. I credit our members over the weekend working together. For-
20: Here's the thing, even if House Republicans do manage to pass a short-term funding measure to stop the government from shutting down at the end of the month, the Senate's Democratic leader, Chuck Schumer, says the bill, as written, won't pass his upper chamber. A shutdown may not be as calamitous as a debt default, though it would affect pay for hundreds of thousands of federal staff. It's another major headache for the Biden administration contending this week with an auto workers strike that could put a break on the hard-driving US economy. Almost 13,000 people employed at three of America's biggest car manufacturers are taking part in unprecedented coordinated industrial action, demanding significant pay rises. The walkout will continue unless there's a resolution, with the White House urging both sides to stay at the table for as long as possible to forge a win-win agreement. But from the picket line to the corridors of Congress, opposing factions remain poles apart.
3: That was Benji Hyatt reporting. Industry data shows that China's cross-border postal service has achieved growth for eight consecutive months. Uh, Ezhou Huahu Airport in Hubei Province has uh, the largest express parcel processing system in Asia. The more than 50-meter intelligent line in the transfer center can handle more than 280,000 parcels an hour. The airport's also deployed more than 50,000 optical fiber sensors and 69 5G base stations. The devices can collect real-time data and transfer them into the system. Which enables staff to monitor facilities at the airport from any angle other intelligent equipment such as unmanned trucks and distribution robots have also helped improve the efficiency of logistics and transportation while saving labor costs you're listening to the beijing hour coming up in sports we're exploring the venues of the asian games in hangzhou
16: the hangzhou asian games will be a unique experience for all involved Join us on this week's episode of Sideline Story, where we talk about what hosting the games means to China. We'll also take a look at non-Olympic sports, new technology and other elements of the games to look forward to. Be sure to tune into Sideline Story, your destination for sports news, analysis and discussions.
3: 47 past now, turning to sports, here's Brandon Yates. Thank you, Shane. We begin with the Hangzhou Asian Games.
16: Greet Asia in Hangzhou. Embrace the excitement of the Games. In today's Meet Asia in Hangzhou section, we take a look at the main competition venues of the Hangzhou Games. Chi has more. The
1: Hangzhou Asian Games will feature 56 competition venues during the 16-day contest. The Hangzhou Olympic Sports Centre Stadium, nicknamed the Big Lotus, is the primary venue for the Games and will host the opening ceremony with a capacity of 80,000. Its shape is inspired by ancient silk texture and weaving, resembling the surging waves of the Chiantang River. The stadium also functions as the venue for athletics and will generate 48 gold medals, the most among all venues. Nearby is the Small Lotus, the Hangzhou Olympic Tennis Center, with a similar shape. Fuyang Inku Sports Center, serving as the venue for shooting, archery and modern pentathlon, embodies the local cultural elements. Its overall design resembles the ancient Chinese shanshui painting dwelling in the Fuchun Mountains. Hangzhou eSports Center, looking like a futuristic starship, is the first Asian Games standard eSports competition venue in China. Hangzhou also uses existing venues in the city for football, basketball, boxing and cricket, among other competitions. Co-host cities Ningbo, Shaoxing, Jinhua, Wenzhou and Huzhou also offer arenas for Asian Games actions. For the Beijing Hour, I'm Ciju.
16: Tao Chiang Long scored a brace in the second half as Chinese men's football team thrashed India 5-1 in their opening Hangzhou Asian Games match. Head coach Dejan Djejevic was pleased with the result and performance.
6: When we play about game, we start very good. We play first half, maybe better the second half, but that's football, you know. We do one mistake in the last minute of the First half, and they score. But we believe, you know, in the half time, I spoke with the, I was very calm. I believe in my players. I explained to him to continue the play saying, on the same way on the, till the end of the story, it will be good. And I was right.
16: The home team opened the scoring through Gao Tianyi. In stoppage time of the first half, India's Rahul KP grabbed an equalizer. But six minutes into the second half, Dai Wei Jun put China in front again with a long-range shot. Tao then struck his two goals in three minutes and Fang Hao added another one for China to seal the big win. Myself and the sports team depart for Hangzhou on Thursday and we will bring you daily updates from the games. Defending UEFA Champions League winners Manchester City secured a 3-1 win over Red Star Belgrade in their opening group stage game. City fought back from a goal down and a Julian Alvarez double along with Rodri's strike earned City the win. In other selected Champions League results Barcelona's João Félix struck twice in a 5-0 demolition of Royal Antwerp. PSG edged Dortmund 2-0 and Lazio goalkeeper Ivan Providel headed in a very late equaliser to give his team a 1-1 draw against Atletico Madrid. Former Bayern Munich coach Julian Nagelsmann has been appointed temporary head coach of Germany's national football team. The 36-year-old becomes the four-time World Cup winner's youngest coach since 39-year-old Jürgen Klinsmann was appointed in 2004. According to media reports, he will take charge of the UEFA Euro 2024 hosts until the end of that tournament next July. Ten days ago, Hansi Flick left the Germany role after 25 games in charge due to several poor results. Former Germany striker Rudi Foller took charge of the team in a friendly against France last week, which Germany won 2-1. Nagelsmann has agreed on a fixed-term deal with Germany, as he plans to continue his career with a club side next summer. Spain's World Cup winning players have agreed to end their boycott of the national team. The news comes after the country's football federation said it would make immediate and profound changes to its structure. The decision was reached after more than seven hours of meetings at a hotel. The meeting involved the players, RFEF officials, the National Sports Council and the Women's Players Union FootPro. The well-documented crisis began after former Spanish FA boss Luis Rubiales kissed Spain forward Jenny Homaso on the lips during the World Cup presentation ceremony. Victor Webanyama will be aiming for the gold medal with France at the Paris Olympics. The San Antonio Spurs rookie reaffirmed his commitment to France's national squad at the summer games next year in his home country. France came to the FIBA World Cup as the reigning Olympic silver medalists but failed to qualify for the second round. Webanyama did not participate in that event as the number one pick in the NBA draft opted instead to prepare for his rookie season. And finally, Spanish tennis great Rafael Nadal has reaffirmed that 2024 will be the final season of his career. The 22-time Grand Slam winner did, however, leave the door open in case he changes his mind. When Nadal won the French Open title in 2022, he beat Serbia's Novak Djokovic to the record of winning the most Grand Slam singles titles. However, Djokovic soon caught up, securing four more majors. He now has 24 Grand Slam trophies under his name. Nadal said the 2024 Paris Olympics could be a great way to end his career. He might also play at Roland Garros that year if he feels he has a chance of winning it. All
3: right, thank you very much. That was Brandon Yates. Coming up in culture and entertainment, a renowned Hong Kong filmmaker heads the jury for the inaugural Golden Panda Awards. The Beijing Hour.
11: Hello, I'm Peter Dinklage from X-Men Days of Future Past. You are listening to The Beijing Hour.
2: Hi, I'm Cathy Freeman, and you're listening to The Beijing Hour. Hi
17: everyone, I'm Lang Long. Welcome to the Beijing Hour. The Beijing Hour, your window to China and the world.
3: At 53 past the hour, turning to culture and entertainment, and here's Yang Guang.
17: Thank you, Shane. Renowned Hong Kong director Stanley Tone has taken the helm as the president of the film jury at this year's Golden Panda Awards. Liu Xiaoxian earlier spoke to Tone on the award's open arms policy for all kinds of movies and their mission to use the films as a launching pad for cultural exchange.
19: What are your biggest expectations for this awards, And what's your own... Uh, standard for selecting
7: a good film? Well, the criteria of of judging a good film, you know, it could be subjective, you know. Some people have different tastes and have different preferences. But something that is important is like the plot, the story. Is the story interesting? Will the audience engage, you know, to the character? and how how the actor's going to make people feel they are real and how you make the character into life. Golden Panda Film Festival will welcome all kinds of movies into this platform and to show the audience, you know, like their good works and uh, I was very happy that I got a chance to see so many good movie and uh, they are very competitive <laughs> I, I think we have a hard time you know working out who is the winner because they all have a different style, different types and different tastes, just like I said, you know, everybody has a different taste, you know so uh. You, you get the answer.
19: Yeah. So in your understanding, uh, what kind of contributions has the Golden Panda Awards uh, made to the promoting cultural exchange?
7: Because China is a huge market, you know, for filmmakers. You know, now we open up to all the world filmmakers. Uh, Golden Panda Award is a place for all the filmmakers all over the world to showcase their movie. So the audience get to see it. And also, when the movie gets to distribute in China, I think they will have a very good return so they can using the market and and to to have more funding for them to make a better movie. And now, we have one belt, one road. We have a lot of friends over 150 countries in the world working closely with us and, and I think using using the movie as a as a platform for cultural exchange you know and also they can find out the good storyline and we can also work with the great director filmmaker all over the world and joining together i i would say in the future there will be a lot more co-production
17: that was liu Xiaoxian speaking with stanley Tong, the president of the film jury at this year's golden panda awards The 23rd Pingyao International Photography Festival is underway in Shanxi Province. The ancient city of Pingyao is a UNESCO World Heritage Site known for its well-preserved architecture from the Ming and the Qing dynasties. True to form, it has captivated numerous photography enthusiasts who are showcasing their best works that promote cross-cultural communication. The festival exhibition New Light and New Orientation features around 14,000 works of art from more than 2,000 photographers from home and abroad. Among them, the international section features about 1,600 works brought by curators and artists from 27 countries. And finally, the London Design Festival is hosting the overseas debut of the Yulio Shanghai Fashion Week exhibition, spotlighting sustainable Chinese fashion design. The exhibition highlights grain supply chains and brands while showcasing the sustainable and ingenious creations of Chinese fashion designers. In Chinese, yu liu signifies powerful and serves as an ode to the astute use of resources. Since 2019, it has served as an experimental canvas for Shanghai Fashion Week, emphasizing such areas as energy efficiency, carbon reduction, and recycling. This exhibition will run until the end of the month.
3: Well, thank you very much. That was Yang Guang with Culture and Entertainment. We're at 58 past the hour. Checking the forecast before we go for the day. Beijing's down to uh, 15 degrees overnight tomorrow is sunny in 27. Chongqing's at 21 this evening, then moderate rainfall in 24. Lass is down to 9 degrees, then showers in 23. Hong Kong's at 27 tonight. It'll see showers in 33 tomorrow. Elsewhere, Tokyo, 23 degrees overnight, a slight rain in 30 on Thursday. Islamabad's 22 this evening, then a light rainfall in 31. Bangkok's down to 26 degrees, then a light rain in 35. In Africa, Nairobi is getting some rainfall in 27. And finally to Oceania, Sydney's at 16 this evening, then a light rain in 24 degrees. That's it for this edition of the Beijing Hour. Making news today, the general debate of the 78th UN General Assembly has begun with multilateralism and climate change among the top issues. And India has expelled a Canadian diplomat amid an ongoing diplomatic row. On behalf of the staff, this is Shane Bigham in the Chinese capital, hoping you'll join us for the next edition of the Beijing Hour and open a window to the world together.